used to do heavy grocery shopping in the fall, so you had enough to get through the winter. That's Lois Christiansen, born in the late 1920s, talking about growing up on the Guild Ranch in southwest Wyoming. Sometimes we'd go from here to Piedmont in a sleigh. Cars were kept in Piedmont, so we could go that far with the sleigh and then into town in the car. If you've never heard of Piedmont, Wyoming, that's because it's fairly far from most other places, and it's been abandoned. Calamity Jane was through here. She ran the Pony Express at one time, too, so she would have been through the Pony Express in Piedmont area. That's Wendy Peterson. She's Lois's niece and also grew up on the Guild Ranch. She tells me the most common question she was asked growing up out there. They would always say, is there ghosts? <laughs> you know, I've never seen a ghost, never heard a ghost. I was disappointed that this isolated little collection of old buildings between Fort Bridger and Evanston wasn't doing its best to live up to the title of being a ghost town. But Wendy said they did their best to improvise when people going through the area would camp in Piedmont, thinking that no one else was out there in that lonely spot. And we had just a group of people that would come and camp in Piedmont or something. we just go down scare them. They'd scream or come after us with rocks, so we had to be careful. But <laughs> What did your parents say about you harassing them? Oh, they didn't care. They were with us. <laughs> Wait, your parents would go? Yeah, mom would go. <laughs> By the sound of my laughing, you can tell that that story made my morning. But even more interesting than ghosts was what she shared next. Which Cassidy met in Piedmont with Bob Meeks, and they planned a bank robbery in Montpelier, Idaho. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, I try to find out if Butch Cassidy ever really did go to this tiny town right by the ranch where Lois and Wendy both grew up. That's Wendy's UTV that she takes us on the short ride from the ranch over to Piedmont Inn. The sad thing about Piedmont is that if you're just driving on the dirt road through it, you'd hardly think there'd ever been a town there. Delivery stable, you can see the uh, mangers. The livery stable and the few other wood structures left to fight against the encroaching sagebrush have no glass in their windows, no doors. They're just open husks of wood turning into splinters in the wind with cow pies on the floors. However, there are three structures in the ghost town that look to almost be in pristine condition. So I'm walking around one of the kilns out here. The kilns, sometimes called the Piedmont Charcoal Kilns, are three stone structures that look like huge white beehives left out in the middle of nowhere. Or almost nowhere. They're right by the ghost town. If you look at the icon for today's show, you can see them in the picture. They were built in 1869. And it has an arched entrance. Looks like the walls are maybe two feet thick. And I think you can pick up the sound of the echo. The Piedmont kilns are 30 feet across and 30 feet high. And apparently wood was stacked inside and heated up, but not burned to produce charcoal that was shipped by the passing railroad to different factories or other places where they needed charcoal. If you breathe deeply, you can still smell the smell of wood smoke. My guess is the kilns were built in those conical shapes because of the way heat travels or something, but they also do fun things with acoustics as you walk across them. So I'm right by the wall. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And we're back outside. Wendy takes us on our next stop, and this is where the trail of Butch Cassidy starts to heat up. 
at least in my mind. This is where the store was. It's hard to hear, but she said this is where the store was. What's now just a hole in the ground on a rocky hillside in Piedmont was the site of the Guild Store. I'd heard that in 1897, Bub Meeks had robbed a place called the Guild Store just eight months after he also had robbed a bank in Montpelier, Idaho with Butch Cassidy. As I sit there in that parked UTV, I wonder if I'm at the same spot where a member of Cassidy's gang, and possibly even Cassidy himself, had been. An article that I'll link in the description said that Bub Meeks did in fact rob the Guild Store in 1897, but it said the store was in Fort Bridger about 14 miles as a crow flies to the east. Wendy confirmed to me that the Guild family also had a store in Fort Bridger in addition to the one that we're standing by. I feel duped, but I still want to know if maybe Butch was involved with the robbery at the Guild store in Fort Bridger. Yeah, the reason I don't think he was there is because uh, it was right after uh, Castlegate. That's Bill Bettinson, who has written a very, very, very well-researched book about Butch Cassidy in Wyoming. It's called Butch Cassidy, The Wyoming Years. Castlegate was the robbery of a coal company in Castlegate, Utah, on April 21st, 1897, which Cassidy was confirmed to have been involved with. Castlegate was a daring daylight robbery. I mean, it's kind of how they termed it. So he got a lot of front page press throughout the U.S. So him and Elsie Lay went south to uh, Arizona, New Mexico. What Bill is saying makes sense. And he also mentions this. Butch was, at the time, was looking for bigger bigger halls. You know, and the Guild store wasn't a big thing. The article I mentioned before said that the Guild store robbery only netted about $600, which is not a small amount, but the Montpelier robbery the year before had netted over $7,000. Just as my quest for Butch Cassidy in Piedmont seems like a failure, Wendy brings this up. And then there was a well, a big well there at the hotel. The hotel she's talking about, the Guild Hotel, which was moved or destroyed, and in more recent times only marked by that well, played an important part in one of Cassidy's very famous crimes. I think it was Bub Meeks and Butch that rode in on horses, and the old Guild Hotel was there, and they spent the night. And they said that they were overheard talking about uh, Matt Warner and his upcoming trial. Matt Warner was a friend of Cassidy and was facing charges for killing two men and wounding a third in the Uinta Mountains during a gunfight. Cassidy and Bub had arranged to meet a lawyer in Piedmont they knew named Douglas Preston. So the train used to go right through Piedmont, and so Douglas Preston would ride the train over from Rock Springs. It's unclear what exactly was said during the meeting, quite possibly held right there in the hotel, but soon after, Bub... Butch, and some other associates successfully robbed the bank in Montpelier, Idaho. And then they meet again in in Piedmont. And uh, from there, Douglas Preston wires off the money and, uh, you know, puts together the defense team. Soon after that, Matt Warner was convicted, but not of murder, just manslaughter. And he only served about four years of his five-year sentence. I asked Bill how much knowledge he thinks that Preston had about how his legal fees were paid. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Douglas Preston laundered money for the gang and whatnot. 
In fact, a 2021 article also linked in the description contains transcriptions of the remains of three letters found at a camp where it was believed Butch Cassidy stayed near the site of other known robberies in Nevada. All three of them are from Douglas Preston, and in one of them it says, Send me at once a map of the country and describe as near as you can the place where you found the black stuff so I can go get it. The black stuff was possibly gold covered in soot. Stolen from a dynamited safe during the Wilcox robbery, Cassidy was believed to have been connected to. So what happened to Douglas Preston? Was he murdered by outlaws? Did he serve a prison sentence? Did he disappear? Douglas Preston later became attorney general for Wyoming. And what happened to Matt Warner? Years after his release, he was elected as justice of the peace in Carbon County, Utah. They said he was very, very good at catching outlaws. Wendy adds this about what might have happened to some of the money from the Montpelier robbery, not used for legal defense, if that's where the money came from. Rumor has it that they brought the money back here and hid it. But as far as I know, nobody's ever found it. You always hear of everyone from pirates to outlaws hiding money. I asked Bill if he thinks this ever happened with Butch Cassidy. Well, yeah, absolutely. They, would, they preferred gold over currency because it was non-traceable. Currency had serial numbers. If you think about the the weight of uh, gold in that, gold coins, and, you know, they had pack horses and whatnot, they'd want to bury that stuff and, and move on, you know, and not be weighed down with that. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think they hid stuff out and with plans to come back, and did they always make it back? You know, I don't know. I asked Wendy if she or anyone ever went looking for Cassidy's gold in Piedmont. Or if perhaps their attempts to be ghosts had scared everybody off, like something out of Scooby-Doo. A lot of people have dug and dug up things. I mean, Dad went down there one day and the guy's hat's the only thing that was above the ground. He dug this huge hole trying to find stuff. By the way, if you want to look for buried treasure in that area, make sure to get permission of the landowners and the government entities that might be in charge of some parts of it as well. Perhaps more interesting than the Guild Store robbery or Cassidy meeting in Piedmont with his attorney are all the other odd little stories of violence and crimes and just unusual things that happened in Piedmont. Some guy got angry in one of the bars and started shooting. He shot out a, one of the lanterns or something, and they chased him down, and he made a mistake of going underneath a lamppost, and Al Skug shot the guy. If you ever go back in time to Piedmont, or probably any town, a great way to avoid having something bad happen to you apparently is to stay out of saloons. Then there was one uh, railroad worker that somebody had uh, offended one of his daughters, and he went in and with a bullwhip and started whipping people for, for that. Wendy tells us about a time that the criminal element came very close to one of her ancestors living in the area. There was no sheriff or anything in town, and it was getting pretty um, rowdy, I guess. So they formed a vigilante group. This vigilante group would take the accused, and they would hang them by the thumbs out behind Piedmont in some cottonwood trees, just a few inches above the ground so they couldn't reach. And then after they'd confessed, then they would hang them. One time, I guess there was one guy that had been proven innocent, and they were after him again, and they come past my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather's, Charles Guild, and he stopped him and said, you know, he's already been proved innocent. 
And they did go ahead and let him go. And so they said that our grandfather was one of the few that argued with the vigilante group and lived to tell about it. So I think he was a man of integrity. Another source of trouble seems to be the trains, or at least the people who worked on them, and sometimes both. Workers from the railroad. They liked to gamble, and they were gambling in one of the saloons, and one of them was caught cheating. And an engineer just of the train just shot him, took him, stuffed him in his firebox, and burned him on his way back to Leroy. Speaking of trains, the golden spike that was supposed to unite the Central and Union Pacific Railroads at Promontory Point in Utah was delayed by something that happened in tiny Piedmont, Wyoming in 1869. When they were bringing the railroad through, everybody was down at Promontory Point, and they were going to put the golden spike. At the time, they had kind of gone bankrupt as far as having enough money to pay the workers. And the 300 workers in Piedmont had been promised subsidy from the government, $250,000, and they hadn't received it. So when they heard that this vice president, Thomas C. Durant, was coming through, well, they piled up railroad ties on the tracks. So when they got there, they um, they pulled the engine over, and they uncoupled the car with, with the dignitaries on them, and they sent the train engineer onto Evanston, but 300 angry men circled this car and basically said, you pay us or you die. The engineer got to Evanston and sent word through the telegrapher back to Fort Bridger and asked for the troops to come and help. But the telegraph line went through Piedmont, and the telegrapher there at Piedmont took it off, so no help came for him. So um, they say he had to wire east and west for money until he finally got enough and so the driving of the Golden Spike was postponed till May 10th because of the very first holdup on, on the new railroad that was right here in Piedmont. Back in the early 2000s when I was going to film school, I made a documentary about Wyoming's close relationship with its past, and I featured Carter and Piedmont in it. To get more footage, I climbed up to one of the cemeteries by Piedmont. I'd expected all the grave markers to be worn and old, but to my shock, one of them had a death date in the 1990s. I remember wondering why anyone would make it a point to go back to a lonely place like that, to be buried essentially next to a ghost town. I guess just their roots, you know, their, their ancestors. That makes even more sense when I ask Wendy about her fondest memories of growing up in an isolated spot by a ghost town. I know we used to play in that old livery stable, climb up in the top of it, you know, and stuff. And I remember always as a kid running to the spring and laying down on your stomach, you know, and leaning over and drinking, drinking out of that spring. And I just remember looking at the stars and trying to figure out the stars, you know, and different things, because there's just so many out there. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day. I want to make sure to thank Lois Christiansen, Wendy Peterson, and Bill Bettinson, who are all willing to be on the show today. Thank you all. Again, all the stuff I cited is in the description. Also, if you would like a copy of Bill Bettinson's book, I have a link to that as well in the description. 
If you like the show, you can share it with a friend by going to That Doesn't Happen Every Day. Every day is two words in this case. And you can share the links of your favorite shows with whoever you'd like. And I would really appreciate that. I hope to have a new episode to you in the next couple weeks.